Get your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Whack. Paul Goldschmidt annihilates that ball. My goodness, on the Waveland. 13th of the year, extends the hit streak, and that was a blast. De Jong cranks one, well hit to center, half-ranging back at the wall and into the basket. A third Cardinal home run in the fifth inning. They've poured it on. It's De Jong's second of the series. I'm optimistic at better offense than, more, than most I've been in some period of time. The results prove that. You know, last night we had two, you know, we hit two home runs with the guy on base. They were also guys that got on through, you know, scratching and clawing their way on. Hey, with Tanner Hendrickson and Luke Clevenger, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex is going to be out this week, but Tanner Hendrickson is in with me today as a co-host. Tomorrow, we'll see what we can cobble together. Maybe Tanner. Yeah, what are we doing tomorrow? Might be somebody else. We'll figure it out as we go along here on an All-Star Week. On Wednesday and Thursday this week, we will have our guy Mark Saxon in studio with us as well. So plenty to get into throughout the week. Benji Molina going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes or so, talking about his brother picking up his 10th All-Star nod, although Yachty will not be attending the All-Star Game this year. He will not, will not be playing, at least, in the All-Star Game this year. That audio you just heard was courtesy of Fox Sports. Over the weekend, the Cardinals split 1-1 one and one against the Cubs, and we are officially done with the first half of the season, Tanner. They finished the first half 44-46. and 46. Let's start with the good before we get to any of the bad. I thought there was a lot to be excited about from the two Pauls. Paul DeYoung, Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung hit homers in back-to-back games for the first time this season. He is now slashing 296, 387, and 593 for an eight, or excuse me, 980 OPS this month. Paul Goldschmidt also hit a homer. He hit a double in the series against the Cubs. He now has an OPS over a thousand in the month of July. If you're looking for one reason to be optimistic about what the Cardinals can do offensively in the second half. It is those two players who have shown over the last two weeks or so that they can be a catalyst to spark this offense moving forward. It's got to be DeYoung and Goldie. That's got to be the thing that you're excited about moving forward. Yeah, they looked really good. Paul DeYoung looked really good this week, and that comes after, you know, Friday he wasn't in the lineup, and I said, oh, they're going to Sosa. (laughs) And then once he do, he homers, and then it has a double. And him leading the team in OPS over the last 15 games. Now, he does have a smaller sample size because he just hasn't been in the lineup as much. It is a very encouraging sign, and... 
whether or not that's going to add the depth to the lineup or if it's going to help him in his trade value going forward, depending on how the Cardinals want to handle him. I expect him to be a depth piece into the lineup. It, it, it gives you some encouraging signs heading into the All-Star break. Now, the hope is that it doesn't come to a screeching halt as we hit the All-Star break. That momentum just dies off. The other problem is it's only those two guys. If you look at the Cardinals this month and the month of July in terms of what they've produced offensively, the only other player not named Paul DeYoung or Paul Goldschmidt with an OPS above 750, which is basically league average. I'm not asking for a ton here, just a league average hitter is Harrison Bader. And for whatever reason, and I was just talking about this with uh, Carriker and Smallman during the crossover, the Cardinals can't seem to get four guys going at any time. Because if you could get Carlson and DeYoung and Goldie and Arenado going, okay, well, this offense could suddenly start looking a hell of a lot better than it has. It could be at least league average. And that's really what they need right now at a minimum. But when you only have two, maybe three guys going at any given time, that's when you run into these problems that they're having. You just have too many automatic outs. We used to talk about that at the back half of the lineup for the Cardinals. Now we're talking about it. Well, you've got it at the top of the lineup in Carlson. Edmonds kind of been up and down of late. You don't really seem to know on any given night which outfielders are going to be able to produce for you. It's just weird. It doesn't make sense what's taking place with the offense this season. And so, yeah, it's great that Paul DeYoung and Paul Goldschmidt are hitting right now and that they're producing both with power and with average. The problem is now you got to add to that mix. And I thought they were going to be able to do that going into the season when you have Arenado and Goldie, I thought, as being consistent producers. And then if you've got a couple guys here or there that aren't producing in the lineup, you can make up for it. But right now, they're just not getting that. And we have seen that before. Like When we talked about this team, I think it was in late April, maybe early May, and they were winning games. And we were talking about, you know, we're, this lineup, this lineup, when it's healthy, it's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. We kind of saw it. That's when we saw some of those four guys click. You didn't have Paul Goldschmidt going, but you had Tyler O'Neill was playing well. You had Nolan Arnato. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else was. Edmund was playing well at that time. Carlson was looking good. So you had the four guys, and we saw what happened. Yep. The team played really well. But when you don't have four guys, your lineup is just so thin. And as you mentioned, the two guys hitting right now, at least to begin this month, are the two Pauls. You need more out of somebody. Somebody's got to step it up. Dylan Carlson did not look good heading into the All-Star break. His average, I believe, in the last 15 was below 200. So having him lead off with those kind of numbers isn't great. Now, Tom Yemen looked a little bit better. I it's thought, like whoever they put up there just loses well, you know, their form. I don't know why. So, so I looked last night, and I was thinking, you know, maybe maybe this leadoff spot's a problem. Maybe they're not getting good production. The production from the leadoff spot hasn't been all that bad. I was hmm. expecting to look at the uh, leadoff spot and be like, whoa, they have an OPS of 600. Oh, my gosh, this leadoff spot's terrible. No, it's not bad at all. So it, it's not that someone kind of falls apart when they hit that leadoff spot. It's just ebbs and flows of the season, it feels like, for them going into the all-star break and you know i thought heading into the break i i said it i I was hoping that we wouldn't see yadi get an all-star game appearance not because i don't want to see him play just because i think he needs rest i thought he looked really tired over the weekend against the cubs there were a couple plays behind the plate pass balls Uh, to me he just looks tired i feel like this break's going to be good for yadier molina 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to get involved in the show throughout the day today you can always get in touch with us via the rhino shield mic drop feature as well from the 314 guys everybody knows how why the offense stinks for this team you have to fire jeff albert that is the answer to what plagues them maybe but i think we know by now 
that the Cardinals offense is not going to get fixed this season by firing Jeff Albert because the team is not planning to fire Jeff Albert. If they were, they would have done it after that Tiger series. After the Tigers and into the weekend against the Pirates, that was the time that classically teams would have fired their hitting coach. Instead, the Cardinals decided to have an all-team meeting, and they've referenced this a million different times. I think that was June 24th, if I'm not mistaken, when they had that meeting. And they called an all-team meeting about their approach, about how they were getting to one-track mind. They were going, they were selling out for the home runs and the powers and the ISO and all of the things that Tanner loves in an offense. Didn't, didn't work. And Mike Schilt said, this is not working. We have to change our approach. That's going to be the way we get back on track. And in some ways it has. Since that date, the Cardinals are, they have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball, which is good. They're making contact more often than any other team in the sport. The problem is they're still bottom 10 in basically every statistical category. So have they improved since that date when they had that all-team meeting? Yeah. All right. They went from bottom five to bottom 10, but you need to get at least into the middle of the pack for this offense to be kind of where you would have expected it to be. And even then, it feels a little underperforming to me, but I can live with if you're the 14th best offense in the league. That that can play for this team. I think they might need more than that, though, with the pitching injuries. That's what I was just about to say. And by the way, you mentioned that you think they've gotten decent production out of the leadoff spot. I don't know, man. They got an. A- Let me rephrase this, because after I double-checked <laughs> my numbers, it's, they're about average on getting on base. I don't expect the OPS to be very high for the leadoff spot, because their OPS is not that high. It's 700. Yeah, okay, yeah. 26th in the league. You know what? The only teams that have less production from their leadoff hitters this year are Detroit. All right. Arizona. Philly and Texas. You know, it's all about the half, uh, what's the saying? Glass half full? Yeah, it's all about that right there. They're not Teams last. that have a better leadoff spot produ- uh, producing players you, you, so you far this year. You probably shouldn't read this one. Colorado. They're Chicago. Good. They're good. New York. They're good. Cleveland. They're good. All those teams are really good. What are you talking about? Their offenses are not. Well, you know. It's been bad. For whatever reason, the Cardinals can't seem to find a consistent answer in the leadoff spot, and that's going to be something that they have to figure out in the second half. Maybe that means playing Harrison Bader at leadoff. I know that sounds crazy. I know. I'm with you. Let's calm down. He's been your third best hitter in the month of July. It's worth a shot. Would 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 it work? I don't know. Would you consider putting Goldie at the top or no? Get wild with it. I don't care at this point. Yeah. One, one thing that the reason I say that is I remember the Tampa Bay Rays, I think it was two or three years ago, they had a, and I don't think they used it very long, what they called an opener for the lineup. And basically what they did was they had no traditional leadoff hitter. What they did was they said, all right, whoever the hottest hitter is, you're going to hit leadoff sure. because we want you to get the most at-bats. So that means Paul DeYoung has the highest OPS heading into the All-Star break. Who's leading off? Maybe it's Paul DeYoung for just a couple games. Paul Goldschmidt's hot. Maybe you try him up at the leadoff spot just to get someone on base and then see if we can go from there. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I got no issues. Um, I'm down with whatever they want to try at this point because what they did in the first half didn't work. And in the first half, they finished with a record of 44 and 46. It is just the third time this century since the turn of the century that the Cardinals have finished the first half of the season under 500. The only other years that that was true for was 2007, in which they finished the year 78 and 84 in 2017. That team finished 83 and 79. So the Cardinals, for the third time since 2000, 
finished the first half under 500 in the last two times it happened. They missed the playoffs both years and the best case scenario was 83 and 79. The hope for this team is that you're able to go on a little bit of a run in the second half. The problem is you don't have the pieces to do it. So in order to get this team going, I think it's going to take a trade. And I just don't know that the Cardinals are willing to do that. So we'll talk about what the second half is going to look like. We'll get some of your uh, reaction to the first half as well throughout the day today. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys can get involved via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app as well. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, the Cardinals had a bit of a throwback night in the draft last night. We'll talk about that and who they selected. Coming up next, though, Benji Molina will join Join us to talk about what he saw from the Cardinals in the first half and what it meant to him for his brother to be named to his 10th All-Star game. We'll talk to Benji Molina next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario's out this week on vacation. He will be back next Monday as we have officially reached the All-Star break. But right now, we are very happy to be joined via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line by the one and only, he is Benji Molina, Cardinal Spanish language broadcaster, the brother of 10-time All-Star Yadier Molina. Benji, we always appreciate the time, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing over there? I mean, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Doing fantastic. So let, let's start with the announcement over the weekend. Yadier Molina uh, officially inducted into his 10th All-Star game, decided that he's not going to be playing this year to rest up his foot. But what was it like for you to hear that your brother is a 10-time All-Star, Benji? Oh, wow. This is, um, this is amazing. It's an amazing feeling. It's great uh, for the family. It's great for the fans. It's great for everybody that, um, that is always involved with us. And, and not only that, but 10, you know, nine, uh, 10 looks way better than, than nine, right? So uh, it's amazing, man. It's just so proud of him. And I hope that, that, um, that every, uh, he gets a couple more, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Did, did you expect him to drop out of this one because of his foot? Did you, did you think that would probably be the case when you heard? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that question. Yeah, no worries, Benji. Did you did you figure that he would probably decide to sit out this one because of his foot? Did you expect that that would be the case? I think so. I, he's been hurting the whole year with the foot injury, so I think he he's gonna he's probably gonna sit out this one. Not because he don't want to go, but. I think he needs to rest. You know, you guys know that he plays a lot. He doesn't take days off. So uh, these these four days will will give him uh, plenty of rest, you know? Absolutely. And Benji, I know you watch as much Cardinals baseball as anybody, and you have a keen eye for the sport. What did you make of the Cardinals in the first half of this season? Um, I think uh, the best way to put the Cardinals, it's, um, it's up and down, you know? They show you your, your best sides. But they also show, have shown you the the worst sides, right? So I think the injuries have been part of the first half, uh, which I think they were going so good, and all of a sudden they uh, they hit a wall when they hit all those injuries. So uh, I think it's um, it's just for me we've been just an up up and down like season so far. 
Benji, you mentioned the injuries and some of that being impacted is the pitching staff. Of course, Michaelis on the IL, Jack Flaherty's on the IL. Now Carlos Martinez has been placed on the IL. Do you think heading into the trade deadline that a starting pitcher is going to be a, a key price for the Cardinals to go and acquire, or do you think they're going to look more at the offensive side of things or possibly even at the bullpen? You know what? I think uh, I think it will be it will be really smart to go get to go after a, a starter right now when you have all those three hurt. You don't know how Flaherty is. Uh, we all hope that he comes back very good, but um, Martinez and and Michael, as you might not even see him again. So uh, they're in the long in the long uh, DL, you know, so injured list. So uh, maybe a starter would help everybody. One one. Uh, one little um, bullpen relief will help with the arms out there in the bullpen. So I think it's uh, – I, I think it'll be smart. I think the offense, I think they trust these guys. They want to see these guys perform, obviously. They love these guys. I don't think they're going to make any changes. But seriously, I uh, I really believe it's probably going to be a starter uh, um, and, a re- uh, and a reliever. We're talking to Benji Molina here on 101 ESPN. He's a World Series champion, a two-time gold glove winner. He is Yadier Molina's brother and, of course, the Cardinals' Spanish-language broadcaster as well. Benji, you mentioned the offense there, and I, I believe in the talent. I think most Cardinals fans believe in the talent. You look up, up and down the lineup on a day-to-day basis, it's like, okay, so you've got Carlson, Goldie, Arenado, DeYoung, O'Neal, Yadi. I mean, those, those are some really great names to have in a lineup. But for whatever reason, it just hasn't seemed to come together this year. Have you been able to put your finger on what it is that hasn't clicked for this offense so far in 2021? I don't know, man. I really, it's hard, like you said. <laughs> it's really rough to um, to pinpoint one thing, right? I think it's uh, it's really rough to do that. And um, uh, but the offense could be. Uh, could be many things, man. I think I, I let me tell you my my feel. Let me Please. tell you my, what I think. Um, if every every hitter in that team, and we've seen it, and and we've seen it. If every single guy doesn't matter who it is, stays inside the ball and use the big part of the field more, and try to hit line drive instead of fly balls. I mean, seriously, the other day we had one game. This is just one game. 22 outs were 12 strikeouts and 10 fly balls. How many outs did you get in the game? 27. So that gives you five outs to work with because you're either striking out 12 and fly ball, which is a lot. We all know that it's a high percentage being caught, even if it's to the warning track, but it's still an out. So 12. 22 outs has been strikeouts or fly ball, and then you have five outs to work with. You Now, you tell me if that's going to give you a, a good chance to win your ball games. They do win ball games, pitching, relieving, holding leads, things like that, and they have their offense, obviously. But if I think I really do believe that these kids, all of them, stay inside the ball. And that doesn't mean right-handers go to the opposite field. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It means stay inside the ball. Use the big part of the field, hit hard ground balls, hit, hit line drives. I really, really do believe that it will make a big difference on the offense. 
Benji, how difficult is it to make that adjustment? I mean, is that something that you can work with pregame, with batting practice? What what goes into making that kind of an adjustment? Um, it is really rough uh, in the middle of the season. This has to happen in the off season. It has to happen in the spring training. And then you go into the season, right? So I don't really believe that you're going to get uh, anybody from the team right now, this minute. And then you say, okay, we're going to start doing this right now. And I don't think it's – it might work with some guys. But I just don't think it's going to work with everybody. But if you do it in the off season, you work with these guys, and then uh, in spring training you, you keep following it, I bet you anything it's going to work, man. It's going to work. I really do believe it. Benji, you mentioned it, the difficulty of trying to make those adjustments and possibly in spring training. We've heard Mike Schilt say multiple times now how he thinks his team is starting to make adjustments at the plate, cutting down on chase rate, strikeout percentage. Are you kind of seeing the same thing? We're seeing Paul DeYoung. He's had a better start. He struggled this season. He's had a really good month of July. He's got an OPS of 980. Do you think we're starting to see some of those adjustments from the players? Uh, uh, they show you they can do it. They show you they can they can do uh, the adjustments, but then they go back to it. You know, it is very difficult for me, guys, because I play on an era where where two two forty or two fifty below didn't cut it, right? It, 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 you guys were not were not gonna play uh, a single ball game. I mean, unless you're a defensive guy or, but if you're a minor league trying to get up to the big league, if you were hitting two forty, two fifty or below, let alone two hundred. You won't even get on a bat. You won't even be up there in the big leagues, you know? So I think I think uh, you're talking to the wrong guy in that matter because I'm kind of like an old-school guy where I like to spread the ball around. I like to, to, to touch the ball. I like to hit the ball. I like people in my lineup who can do hit and run so I can do things. I like guys who can sacrifice uh, and I bat for my team, uh, move the guy over. Uh, sacrifice anything to get that guy in. I like that stuff, you know. And, and these days, you don't see it in, in baseball overall. So, I don't know, man. I, it's hard for me to, to see that right now uh, because they show you flashes, but then they go back to the same uh, same old way. So, it's it's very difficult. We're talking with Benji Molina for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Hey, Benji, I wanted to ask you about Adam Wainwright, who's been, I mean, you, you talk about a throwback. He's been nothing short of spectacular so far this year. 3-6 ERA. He's thrown 105 innings already this year in 17 starts. He made some comments, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, about 2021 might be his final year playing in the big leagues, and if not, 2022 for sure will be his final year playing with the Cardinals and for Major League Baseball as a whole. Uh, were you surprised to hear Wayno come out and say that? And regardless of your thoughts on that, what's it been like for you to watch Wayno so far this year look like himself as he did last year? You know what I think? Uh, if Wayno's going to retire, he's going to retire because he obviously done with baseball, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be because of performance. These uh, Wayno that we're seeing, we have been seeing him for the last couple of years. He's been our number one, uh, not disrespect to Flaherty uh, and, and Michael as when he was uh, back then before getting hurt, but not disrespect to anybody, but Wayno has been the one who's always been that guy uh, at the moment as they need it most. 
Bueno has been the one getting the the face out there and and and, and dealing with these people, you know. So, uh, my opinion on Bueno, he's a he's a horse. He's a freaking horse, dude. He's a he's a guy who goes out there and gives you six. He'll take seven runs if possible because he wants to rest the bullpen. I mean, not none of these guys, none of not many of them are going to do something like that because they all worry. Most of them are worried about. And I'm not talking about the Cardinals. I'm talking about in general. In the baseball, they're they're thinking about their numbers. They want to make their money, which is okay, but they forget the fact that you have to sacrifice for your team. So, talking about Wayno, I think uh, I think it's going to end up the season really, really good, uh, in good hands. I think next year he's going to come back in shape, same way that he's been. And I really, if he pitches the same way he's doing this year, or next year, I don't see why you need to retire. But let me tell you this, guys, Wayno, Yadi. Him, you know, KK, all those three guys should be signed right after the All-Star break. The 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 guys, the ownership, uh, the GM, the president, whoever it is involved, they need to come up and say, uh, hey, Yadi, Wayne, we want you for one more year. Here's the deal. Uh, KK, well, I don't know how that deal, because he's a free agent, right? I don't know how if they want to sign it for two, three, whatever it is, but... But they all those three guys I'll bring back next year in a heartbeat, and they need to do it soon so these guys can play happy and they can know that that they're going to be back next year. If they go in the free agency, I can assure you, these two guys are not coming back. I know we do this quite a bit, Benji, but do you think Yadi for sure will be back for twenty twenty two? Um, I think so. I think so. The only thing that's going to keep Yadi from from coming back, I think it's a really, really rough injury. Uh, hopefully that never happens. Uh, Yadi takes care of his body pretty good. He works out really, really good. He eats well. Uh, and his body is sustaining him, man. You can see what he's doing. I mean, seriously, he is up there. He can play 22, and I and we have talked, man, 23, 24. He can do it. I really do believe he can do it. But it's up to him, up to him, and hopefully health has a lot to do with it. You know? Do you think he wants to just continue playing as long as the body, his body will let him? Like, if he could play till he's forty-three years old, do you think Yadi would? I think so. I think so. Yadi, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, like I always call him a freak of nature. You know, I, I think Yadi, it's a. Uh, I, I really do believe. Uh, I don't know how he does it because when I was thirty. 637 man my body was starting to shut down you know uh but obviously um i didn't i, I didn't know how to work out like he did hmm. this time you know i didn't know how to do that so i did work out but i work out different way different than than what yadi's doing so i think it, he's gonna be fine as long as he doesn't feel any injuries i think Yadi's gonna be uh uh it's gonna be up there um i hope i hope that he stays with the cardinals of course but you know what what business the business word means. So mm-hmm. we almost saw it in the off season this year for both of them, for Wayno and Yadi. So that could happen this year. We hope we hope that he doesn't, and we hope that these kids are signed as soon as possible, man. Well, Benji, we look forward to seeing Yadi the rest of this season, hopefully for next year as well. What do you have going on this All Star break? How, how are you celebrating things? I know Yadi, if I'm not mistaken, I think his birthday is this week as well. Are you guys doing anything to celebrate? No, Yadi. Uh, I don't know what Yadi have going on. He has um, he has some things going on. I know my brother Jose went to Puerto Rico for the four days. 
he had a long night last night. He went from Seattle to Puerto Rico. That's a long way. And then he has to go back to Anaheim pretty soon, uh, which has another long way. I'm in, I'm in Arizona. I'm looking uh, to hang out with my, my girls. And uh, it was her birthday yesterday. So uh, I'm here just to hang out with them. I go back to, uh, to St. Louis on the 14th. We have a clinic on the 15th. Uh, with kiddos, so it's gonna be fun, man. And hopefully, these, these Cardinals can uh, can um, pick it up, uh, you know, and find the w- uh, winning ways. I think uh, I think Flaherty coming back will help a lot. Having Flaherty, uh, having Wayno, having Kim pitching well, I think it's it's gonna settle uh, things out. Benji, we always enjoy having you on the show, man. All the best. Enjoy the next couple of days, a break with the kids, and we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's Benji Molina, Cardinal Spanish-language broadcaster, joining us here on 101 ESPN, of course, World Series champion and two-time gold glover himself as well. I thought it was interesting. I We do this every year where we're like, hey, is Yachty going to retire in the offseason? And every year we talk with whether it be Benji or we hear comments from Yachty or Molina or people associated with Yachty. And it's the same thing. Yeah, I'm going to keep playing as long as my body will let me. I'm going to keep playing as long as my body will let me. Well, his body is going to continue letting him play for a while because Yadier Molina is a maniac. He's a crazy person when it comes to his work ethic. And even though he does have the foot injury right now, he has played pretty well this year. I know the bat hasn't been quite the same pop as it was early in the season, but he's an all-star again for the 10th time. And I'm not surprised to hear from Benji that Yachty would like to continue playing after this season. I think that's probably the headline is Benji Molina believes that Yachty or Molina, KK and Wayno should all be offered contracts here in the not too distant future, because he would like to see all three back in a Cardinals uniform next year. Yeah. I, that's what stunned me when he put KK's name into there too. And I'm with you. I, Yachty might play till he's 43. His numbers, he's got a better OPS than he had last year. He's got a better OPS than he had in 2019 so far this season. And I think the foot injury, now that it's kind of come out that he's been dealing with it, this why he's going to sit out the All-Star break. I, I think that's kind of had a part into some of Yachty's, I don't want to say struggles, because it's he hasn't struggled this year, but it's been a little bit of a downturn since we saw at the beginning of the yeah. year. So I, I think this All-Star break is going to be good for Yachty to kind of regain his um his energy back he's got the foot injury that's going to heal up i i expect a big second half from yadi and i would not be shocked if the cardinals bring him back for next season kk such an interesting player man in his last 13 starts he's got about 65 innings and he has a 3-0 era and yet for some reason when i think about kk i'm like yeah he might be a reliever <laughs> and he's been clearly like for any team in baseball at a very minimum a really good number four like a really strong number four starter because he's so consistent. So I I get where Benji's coming from on that. If you need innings, if you're a team that already this season is pitching from a deficit, well then, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world to be able to come back with a proven veteran who's been super efficient, um, or not efficient, but effective over the last two seasons with the Cardinals. Makes a lot of sense. Huge thanks to Benji Molina for hopping on with us today. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into some questions and answers. Coming up next, though, the Cardinals had a bit of a throwback night in the draft. And Tanner, if there is one word that I could hear about a prospect that the Cardinals just picked, it would be this one. We'll tell you what that is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
5780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, do you think that the Cardinals are somewhat obligated to uh, extend Wayno, Yachty, and Kim before the end of the season? Does that make for good business practice, in your opinion? Oh, man. I, I think it is, one, a good business practice because you get Yachty and Wayno who are a good draw to the ballpark. KK, I'm not sure of. I, I think the Cardinals will extend Yadi and Wayno. KK is the one that I'm very on the fence about because we've kind of talked about the last two starts. He's been really good since his injury. He has an ERA below two. He's holding opponents to about 210 batting average against, but he just doesn't go deep very often. And granted, with the way the pitching looks now, and we talk about the depth of the starting rotation, maybe you try and bring him back on a one-year, two-year deal just to be a fourth fifth starter ideally i just don't know what the market is for kim and i don't know if he will take a one-year kind of deal i think he'll look for multiple years two to three years and i just don't know if the Cardinals will be willing to do that especially with two lefties down in the minor leagues and libertor and thompson coming yeah i wouldn't question so i think the question is specifically asking about before the end of the season i would not extend them before oh, the end of the season i would not either i would I, especially with like wayno and yadi i would just wait because they're yeah. older veteran players and it's that price still plays the same for kk as well the other thing is they showed you this offseason you could find out what the market holds for them with other teams and then you can either match or exceed those offers at the end of the offseason that's what happened this year it could happen next year as well i would not re-sign those guys before the end of the season it just doesn't make sense they're older you want to see other bodies hold up it i i would i would wait to sign either of those two guys and kk's i don't know i don't know what his season's gonna hold so i would definitely not sign him long term after the or before the end of the season either and he's been injured as well he's dealt with the back injury what twice now so who knows if he's going to be healthy or not going forward 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, I saw that Major League Baseball is looking to get rid of the seven inning double headers at the oh, end of this season. Goodness. Do you think this is something that the game needed to do or is unnecessarily getting rid of? Oh, I think I think it's necessary to get rid of it, but I think that this whole thing is just Major League Baseball. They have a you know collective bargaining agreement coming up. The players seem to like seven inning double headers. We'll say it's back on the table, and that's just another negotiating chip. That's all this is to me. It does kind of sound like a negotiating chip. I it doesn't sound. Is it necessary for Major League Baseball to do this? No, I think they could continue to do the seven inning double headers. I. Kind of with Luke, it does feel kind of like a negotiation tactic, but I, I read the other day when this was kind of reported from Bob Nightingale that MLB says that it wouldn't do this unless if there was major pushback from the players, but it seems like the players aren't going to push back very heavily. So, I mean, I'm personally excited to see the seven-inning yes, doubleheaders go dumb. away. The seven-inning doubleheaders suck. It's not baseball. It is baseball. It Save your tax, Polo. It also makes a lot more sense for the players because they don't want to play 18 innings in one day. You get to see more of the regulars in the seven-inning doubleheaders. It's a good thing for the sport to continue these. And, of course, that's why they're getting rid of them. Because but, baseball doesn't do things that are good for the sport. You forgot the button there. There is no but. There is a but. You've been to one of these. You got to see 14 innings of baseball. It was great. If you do two nine-inning games in one day, what can you do? You can sell two different games rather than just one. And they do that a lot when they do these nine-inning doubleheaders. They could make it that way if they wanted to. They could, but... Yeah, it's, and the it's player, easy. And the players, the players would say, oh, we can get paid more if this is technically 
two different games being played? Sure, why not? Let's play nine innings. What? <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. Sure, They're paid the same either way. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 618. Guys, what are you most excited about for the All-Star break? Is there any specific thing, whether it be the Home Run Derby or the game itself, that intrigues you most? What part of the All-Star break is the most exciting to you in terms of the event? Is it the Celebrity All-Star game? Is that what you get excited about, Tanner? No, no. I'm excited for the Home Run Derby tonight. It's going to be awesome. That first matchup, the 1-8 Shoei Otani versus Juan Soto, and apparently the wind is blowing. I think Carl Ravage tweeted out this morning that the wind is blowing out to right field right now in Colorado. If that's the case, Shoei Otani is going to have himself a day. I- I'm excited to watch him in the Home Run Derby, and I'm excited to watch him pitch and hit in the yeah. uh, All-Star game. I-, I-, I hope they kind of do this exhibition thing where you don't have where he pitches and then there's a pitcher spot for the American League, how, how it plays in the American League like that. I'm excited to watch him. He's going to be the number one thing I watch at the All-Star break. I'm I'm excited for the futures game. Honestly, I love seeing you know young talent night. come. Well, I was excited, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I was like, wait a second. I, I think that you're so twice. excited. It did. It did. Well, I'm trying to circle back here, guys. Great. That's fair. <laughs> but you know what? I love watching year over year the young talent come through. Uh, futures game is a good time, and uh, I like watching you know Cardinals pe- Cardinals players were involved there. I'm I'm excited for the futures game. The other thing I'm excited for is. Because the All-Star game is the All-Star game, it's kind of a slow news day in terms of just, like, national headlines. So you get some real oddball stuff that pops up on sports headlines, and I actually kind of like that. I'm looking forward to the first round of the Home Run Derby, as is everybody else, Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto. I mean, that's it's a perfect pairing, and I can't wait to watch it. And that's, that's the single biggest headliner for me. I think that's it. Like, Shohei Otani is the storyline of this All-Star break. It's fully deserved that he is the storyline of the All-Star break. And I can't wait to see it. That That is number one with a bullet on my list. I feel kind of bad for Pete Alonso. This guy won the Home Run Derby two years ago. We're just like, ah, Pete Alonso, he's in the Home Run Derby? He's Who cares? It's Shohei Otani. He's old news. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show with Tanner Hendrickson and Luke Clevenger. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I read something about the Vladimir Tarasenko situation yesterday that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. So we're going to talk about that in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, the Cubs and Braves are probably the two closest comparisons for the Cardinals. What does that mean for John Mosaylock? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Luke Clevenger. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, I hopefully will not have a stroke. I want to look at the Vladimir Tarasenko situation from a different perspective. We'll do that. Plus, why I think it's becoming clear the Boston Bruins are the best case scenario as a landing spot, both for Tarasenko's perspective and for the St. Louis Blues if you want to look for a trade. So we'll do that in about 10 minutes or so. So we've been talking about the Cubs and the Braves and how they're the closest comp for the Cardinals in terms of where they're at right now and where their trajectory is heading. Both of them are kind of in that muddled middle in the National League right now. The Braves, as of today, are at 44 and 45. They're four games back of the Mets, and they just lost Ronald Acuna to the year uh, with a torn ACL. The Cubs are 44 and 46, tied with the Cardinals right now, eight games back in the National League Central. Both of those teams, at least in my opinion, are likely to be sellers. 
The Cubs have said as much publicly. Jed Hoyer over the weekend basically said, hey, we've got a for sale sign on our front door. And the Braves just lost Ronald Acuna and their four back under 500 right now as we go into the All-Star break. I would imagine, given the fact that they have Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley both on one-year deals and they're not competing for a World Series this year, they will probably be a seller for those two guys as well. What does that mean for the Cardinals, in your opinion, Tanner? Like, the two closest comps in the National League right now, as I look around, seem to be those two teams, and I can make a really strong case for both that they should be selling as we approach the deadline. I think it almost makes you say to the, or not say to the Cardinals, but it almost makes you feel like the Cardinals are going to have to consider leaning towards the sell market themselves. Now, granted, they don't have the pieces as well as the Braves do and the Cubs do to sell, because you look at the Cubs and you can easily name four to five guys that are valuable trade assets and then you look at the Braves and you mentioned the two that are really the big names that they'll be looking to move on from in Morton and uh, Smiley then you look at the Cardinals and you go well who are the assets that you could consider trading I mean you've got Andrew Miller he's on the final year of his deal would anybody really want him Uh, you look at the starting rotation you've got KK but if you trade him we talked about this a little bit back in the office then who's going to eat up innings so to me if you look at those two you look at the Braves and the Cubs and you say well, they have the Cubs definitely have the for sale sign there. Braves are probably leaning towards that here for too long. It almost makes you feel like you almost have to lean towards selling, but the thing is, is you don't have the pieces. So that's what makes this so tough for the Cardinals. Personally, I would just hold if I'm the Cardinals. Right now, if you were to ask John Mozeliak, I almost wonder if he would say we're just going to hold right now. He'd probably tell you we're going to look to make a move, but to me, holding makes the most sense. I think it means you buy. And not just buy, but you buy from these peer teams. If they're going to be selling at the deadline, and I, I really do think that the Braves in particular should be sellers. Maybe they won't, but they should be sellers as we get closer. You know who else has quietly had a rough couple of weeks? The Washington Nationals. Oh, Was that a Scherzer hint? A, a little bit. Um, whether nice. it be him or one of the other players that you could pluck yeah, from that roster. Scherzer. They've got a million different relievers that could be of interest to the Cardinals. They lost four straight against L.A., they lost two out of four against San Diego, and then they lost three straight against San Francisco to end the first half of the season, and they've got some injury issues of their own rights that they're dealing with right now. If you're the Cardinals and you're looking around the National League and the Braves, the Nationals, the Cubs maybe become sellers at the deadline, well, you don't have to anymore worry about those teams being in contention for those last playoff spots. Now it becomes a little bit easier for you to be able to navigate up the National League ranks. And now we're talking about the Cardinals and it's just the Reds, the Brewers, and that's pretty much it that's in their way. So I would be buying. I would be buying Drew Smiley. I would be buying on Charlie Morton. I would see what the Nationals want for Max Scherzer. I would try to look around and see what the bullpen arms look like at the deadline. But if you were the Cardinals, if you're John Mosellock, I don't know that the National League could be breaking any better for you right now. In terms of the teams that could be sellers, this is best-case scenario. The Braves and the Nationals are the two teams that you wanted to sell because they're the teams that have what you need. And in order to go into the second half feeling good about yourself, it will probably require making some sort of a deal with one of those two teams in the National League. That's a really good point because heading in about a week ago, you would have said, okay, now maybe the Cardinals will be buyers, but look at the teams that we're going to be selling. Yeah, the Rockies, who who knows if they're picking up your phone call. They probably should, but who knows since you robbed sure. them of Nolan Arenado. And then you have the Cubs, who have all this talent, but they're not going to trade within the division. You have the Pirates that have some decent pieces. They're not going to trade within the division. And then you look at the NL East, and you say, well, there's four teams that are vying for that one spot. So you look at that, and you say, oh, man, 
there, we may be buyers, but there may not be much for us to buy from. But now that you're starting to see teams kind of separate a little bit, the Braves have the injury, which is unfortunate, but it makes them possible sellers. As you mentioned, the Nationals are falling apart. The other thing that I think, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's bad for the Cardinals, but it's also kind of good for the Cardinals, is where I know who's got the wild card spots. Yeah. So in other words, Those are locked up. the NL East, you are either going to win the division or you're not. So it makes it harder for some teams to say, well, we may not be in the East race, but we are in the wild card spot. Teams can't really do that this year. And granted, that does hurt the Cardinals because the Cardinals are in that vote where we can't vie for a wild card spot. we got to vie for the NL Central. But I think that helps kind of separate the seller's market and this buyer's market. And I think that benefits the Cardinals because it puts teams in the NL East like the Braves and the Nationals who say, we're not going to catch the wild card spot. We're not 100% sure we can catch the NL East, so let's just sell off our pieces. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 636. But guys, do the Cardinals have what other teams want? This is one other thing that I could be, I think could be interesting as we now are finishing up with the draft over the next couple of days. The Cardinals are about to have another fresh influx of talent into their farm system for the first time basically in two years. Last year, you had five new players that were added in in terms of the actual draft picks. This year, you're going to have 20. And that does help you a ton when it comes to just being able to, it's almost like a crop system, right? You're just replenishing these things perennially. And the Cardinals now will be able to add this new crop into the mix. So maybe that does make a guy like Angel Rondon a little bit more expendable for them. Maybe you're looking at Julio Rodriguez, who's a catcher down in the minors for them right now, and he's your 12th-rated prospect. Maybe he becomes available to another team. Juan Yepes has had a pretty good year for them right now down in the minors. Maybe he's of interest for other teams. These middle-of-the-pack type of prospects for the Cardinals, maybe the Cardinals turn those guys over, and they decide, you know what, we we got this seventh-round pick that we're pretty high on. He kind of projects to be similar but younger than Juan Yepes. Maybe we just trade him. We flip him for a reliever right now. And we've got this other guy that just slots into that spot into our farm system. That's the kind of thing that the Cardinals could do at the deadline. Somebody else says, guys, this is difficult to listen to. You're not even convinced of what you're saying. I absolutely am. Like, this is the thing. Do I believe that the Cardinals are a fantastic baseball team? No. But I'm not convinced that the Brewers are fantastic either. I'm certainly not convinced that the Reds are a great team. The Cardinals are eight back, and that's tough to be able to salvage from. But when you look around the rest of this division, the Cubs are going to be sellers. The Pirates are going to get worse at the deadline. The Reds I don't expect to add, but I guess we'll see. And I think the Brewers have basically done the shopping that they're going to do. Maybe they add in another first baseman to add a little pop to that lineup. But if you're the Cardinals and you get back... A little bit earlier than expected, hopefully, Miles Michaelis. And maybe you get back Jack Flaherty in early August. So you're about two weeks away from that. If you can also add one more starter or a top-notch reliever to that mix, guys, it is not crazy to think that they could get back into it. It sounds crazy right now, but if they start playing a little better in the next couple of weeks and you make an addition and you get a couple of healthy guys back at uh, in the start of August... This could turn around really fast for the Cardinals, especially with the schedule that it, the way it sets up in early August. And I know we've said that before, but it's really true for them as they get healthy in the second half of the season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they approach it with, like you mentioned, the Flaherty and Michaelis coming back. Because my whole thought process, at least with Michaelis, is don't expect anything from him this year. Now, I know they plan on having him come back. But we've seen that, and then he got hurt again. And the health issues are still a very big concern for me. Flaherty, I expect to come back. It's just a matter of what is he going to be. So 
to me, you still got your ace. You still got Wayno. I'm with you. They probably need to add another starter. I, I'm just curious how they're going to approach. It. Are they going to say the starting pitching market is too uh, too expensive for our liking? So we're going to see if our quote unquote addition is Miles Michael is coming back from the IL. Do we go look at relievers? Me and Alex talked about this a little bit Friday. If the starting pitching market's too pricey for you, why not go add two relievers and just shorten games for you? That's kind of what I would look at doing if you can't get into that starting pitcher market. But I don't think there's any reason that you shouldn't be able to, especially if Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley enter the market on the, into the trade market because the Braves are struggling. I don't see a reason why you can't go out and get one of those guys because those guys would probably fetch those mid-level prospects that you're talking about. You're not going to have to give up a Libertor, a Thompson, a Von Herrera, a top-end prospect for Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley who are going to be rentals. And honestly, that's probably not that bad a thing for the Cardinals because you can go at another starter in the offseason. If they pitch well, you can maybe give them an extension or you've got those prospects coming up. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, Randy did the math earlier today, and it seemed nearly impossible for the Cardinals to be able to pick up or to catch up with the Brewers if the Brewers even play 500 baseball the Never rest of the year. Never tell me the odds. I, I, I disagree. Um, the Brewers right now are 53-39. and 39. If they went 500 the rest of the year, they would end up going 35 and 35. That would be a 500 record for them the rest of the season. For the Cardinals to catch them, they would have to go 44 and 28 the rest of the year. 48 and 28? 44 and 28. 44 and 28. If they get Jack Flaherty back and Miles Michaelis back, and that's a huge if, two big ifs in terms of the health. And if they make a trade, another big if. They could absolutely go 44 and 28 in the second half of the season. Absolutely they could. That's the type of thing that they've done in the past under Mike Schilt. Does it seem likely to me right now as is currently constructed? No, but that could flip very quickly once you start seeing this team get healthy. And that's that's the big question. We just don't know. We we don't know if they're going to be able to get healthy. But um, yeah, they they have 10 games head to head against the Brewers in September, which helps you directly head to head against them. I do not think it's outlandish to think that they could do this, especially if they make a trade. And the biggest reason I believe they could make a trade is because the teams they needed to fall back a little bit did exactly that. Or they had the worst injury possible in the in the case of the Braves, where Ronald Acuna Jr. is now going to be out for the rest of the season. With Tanner Hendrickson and Luke Clevenger, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 12-16. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We got to talk about Vladimir Tarasenko for a bit because there was something that I read yesterday That rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. We'll talk about that and why this trade request came out publicly. We'll talk about that. And the Bruins feel like the best possible landing spot for both parties. We'll explain why next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So I was reading over on the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch website yesterday from Ben Fredrickson, who I think is a fantastic columnist in general. He does a great job for them, and he puts in excellent work. I just couldn't have disagreed more with his sentiment in his column on Vladimir Tarasenko. He wrote, quote, Some have rushed to wish Vladimir Tarasenko a warm send-off, as if he is electing to leave via free agency, like former star captain Alex Petrangelo did after the Blue Stanley Cup victory. Sorry, asking for a trade when your value is at its lowest and allowing an airing of grievances against the team's medical experts on your behalf in what sure looks like a leverage play 
is not the same as opting to go in free agency. What about all those times Tarasenko insisted he was healthy, fully recovered, good to go, so much for the Blues quietly shopping Tarasenko. Now they have to deal him or risk a chemistry nightmare, end quote. So here's why I disagree with this. is Because I think sometimes we've also got to look at these things from the player's perspective. If I'm Vladimir Tarasenko, and I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm just trying to look at this through his prism. I had shoulder surgery. It didn't take. I tried to come back. I did everything that I could. It didn't work. I had another surgery on that same shoulder. Tried to come back. It didn't work again. I didn't feel healthy. I tried to say something. It just never felt right. Now I'm going back for round three on the same shoulder that I had twice before and that when I went to this new doctor, they told me, hey, they should have cleaned this up the first time around. Now, whether that is the case or not, is not very important right now in terms of his perspective on things. He believes it. Just like Michael Jordan, when we were watching the Last Dance documentary, he believed in his heart of hearts that things were said on the court or that George Carl said something in the restaurant, whatever it was, that he was cut from his varsity basketball team when he wasn't actually trying out for the varsity basketball team. All of these things that may or may not have been true, that all led to his perspective on something. From Vladdy's perspective... His shoulder has been handled incorrectly. He's being asked to play a role that he doesn't want to play. So for him, yeah, I'm going to get my perspective out there because I know, if I'm Vladimir Tarasenko, the Blues are trading me. The plan this offseason, it seems pretty clear at this point, was to trade Vladimir Tarasenko. And that's fine. I think that's the right plan from the Blues' perspective. I think they should have looked at what his value was this offseason, find out what you can get for him, move that money around, and spend it elsewhere. But while I can believe that to be true, I also understand Vladdy wanting to get his side of the story out there. So is this bad for the Blues? Does it hurt their leverage? Yeah. But if I'm Vladimir Tarasenko and I know they're trading me either way, my goal, my priority for me is not for them to get the most for me. And I know this stinks to hear as a fan, but it's true. I want fans to know, hey, here's what my perspective is on why things went south for me in St. Louis. And I think that's what's happening here. So one side or the other doesn't have to be right. I tend to lean more on the blue side of things in this conversation. But I don't think it's really fair to completely hold all of this over Vladimir Tarasenko's head when I think all of us could understand his perspective in this thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I don't think it's fair to hold it over Vladdy because, again, we don't know whether what the case is but if you've had two shoulder surgeries and then you go and like you said the doctor says well this should have been fixed the first time that's very frustrating to hear in an organization in which you have a hundred percent trust in that you've been with for multiple years you signed the contract extension hoping to be here throughout your career but if if you feel like that organization is not going to benefit you because you want to play pass when your contract expires sure it makes sense it was probably i'm sure vladdy knew hey they're going to look to deal me We've heard it from Chris Kerber. We've heard it from a bunch of hockey uh, insiders. The Blues are up for a hockey trade. Who was the number one guy that, that was probably going to be involved in the hockey it had trade? To be him. It had to be Vladdy. So if you're Vladimir Tarasenko and you d- you don't have 100% trust in the organization, I understand why you're going to kind of, I don't want to say air the grievances, but kind of tell yeah. everybody your side of the story. It makes 100% sense to me for Vladimir Tarasenko to say this, and I don't think it should be held over him. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Guys, this didn't need to become public, and that's the issue. From the Blues' perspective, totally agree. They would have 
preferred all of this stay in-house and then they don't have to say anything. I heard Craig Berube was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today, and I think they did what is right. They asked him beforehand, do you want to speak on these comments from Vladimir Tarasenko? He said no. He politely declined. And they mentioned that at the end of the interview. That makes sense from Craig Berube's perspective. There's no need to say anything. What what the organization is saying is with their actions. Their actions seem to indicate they're going to trade Vladimir Tarasenko. So that's where we're going from all of this. But for Vladdy, he doesn't care. <laughs> like, if I'm Vladimir Tarasenko, I don't need to hear, or I, I would like for other people, rather, to know where I'm coming from. And I think that's what this is. I think he was sick of having the team's perspective out there exclusively without being able to tell his side of the story. And that's where this comes from. So whether you agree with them or not, and I I think I lean again more on the blue side of things, I do think it's fair for him to be able to tell his side of the story. Now, that being said, I also wanted to talk about the potential landing spots for Vladdy because we're getting more and more reports that are coming out, rumors, speculation. And earlier today over on The Athletic, they put together a bunch of different trade options for where Vladimir Tarasenko could go. And I got to be honest with you, Tanner, most of them I didn't like. I'm with you there. Most of them, I looked at it and I was like, man, this I don't know if this is what I would be looking for from, from the blue side of things. But there's one team that seems to be coming up consistently now that makes the most sense to me. And it's the Boston Bruins. Now, if Vladdy ends up going to Boston, and he's great again, posts 30-plus goals per year, 70-plus points per season, and leads them back to the Stanley Cup final, that's going to suck. We're going to start, the the fans are going to become outrageous again. But they do have a couple of players on their roster that could make a whole hell of a lot of sense for the Blues. Um, If you're looking at this trade that they suggested, it was for a 2021 first-round pick, And Trent Frederick. Now, Trent Frederick is a very young player. He's 22 years old right now. He is from St. Louis, which is where some of the ties would come in. He is exactly the type of player that the Blues would want under Craig Berube. He's a left-handed shot. He does play some center. He can play on the wing. He makes a hell of a lot of sense. If that is available to the Blues... That's exactly the kind of trade that I would be looking for. He could immediately come in and play third line, either center, if they decide to trade Robert Thomas this offseason, or left wing, if they wanted to go that route, and he could get an opportunity for the Blues in the bottom six, and then maybe if you end up going that route, he could work his way up into the top six eventually. The other option that they have is another um, left winger that they've struggled to figure out a role for um, in DeBrusque. He was really good for them two years ago and then has kind of seen his production drop off over the last two seasons. Jake DeBrusque is making a little bit more money, but he makes a lot of sense for the Blues as well. So when I look around for who's the team right now that makes the most sense to me, it's the Boston Bruins for Vladimir Tarasenko. I'm with you. The Bruins make a lot of sense. And if that package is available that was on the athletic earlier today the 2021 first round pick and trent frederick i, I wouldn't mind the seeing the blues take that again we don't know if that's available but i wouldn't mind and part of the reason i'm behind that is like you mentioned trent frederick young player would fit craig Berube's system but then you also get that 2021 draft pick yep. and i'm not saying oh well hey the blues are gonna have two first round picks no i'm saying that gives you an asset to potentially go and use later down the road in this exactly. offseason and i think if you can get a first round pick and maybe a younger player in a trade package that would give that would send out Vladimir Tarasenko, 
I think I'd almost rather have that than the hockey trade because then I can maybe go and get a better upgrade on someone that maybe is not happy in their spot or maybe is, but I feel like I would rather have someone that I want to go get rather than say, all right, we'll give you Vladdy, we'll flip-flop this guy just because it's a change of scenery. I'd rather flip the first-round pick that I get so I can go get someone else that I feel a little bit maybe more comfortable with is maybe the way I'd say it. So let's think about this holistically for a second, all right? So first thing that you do, you trade Vladimir Tarasenko to the Boston Brewers and Bru- Bruins, rather Ooh. the Boston Bruins, and you get either Jake DeBrusque, who's one option for you, or you go out there and you get Trent Frederick. One of those two. That guy gets inserted onto your second or third line left wing. Let's put it there for now. You also get a first round draft pick in that. Now you call up the Calgary Flames and you're calling the Flames. And you say, hey, I've got two first-round draft picks. I've got Robert Thomas, and I've got a left-side defenseman, whether you want Vince Dunn or Scott Perunovich. Which one would you prefer? They say, we'll take whichever one. We'll take Perunovich. Yeah, they take Perunovich, and you move forward that way. Okay, now you have improved your left-wing option. You have improved, excuse me, your number one left-wing option with Kachuk. You've improved your either second- or third-line left-wing option with one of these two kids that you got from Boston and you've still got the Vince Dunn trade chip that you can use for maybe first or second round draft pick. Maybe you recoup a little bit of value there. And you've got more cap space to work with. Now you can go out there and get a Jamie Alexiak or something like that to improve your defense. That's how, if you're Doug Armstrong, you can suddenly improve your roster. You get a lot younger, a little bit cheaper on your wings. I think that's how they can extend this window while also improving this roster a little bit for 2021. So, if I'm looking for one team that seems to make the most sense for me right now for Vladimir Tarasenko trade rumors, it's the Boston Bruins. That's yeah. that's where I would be targeting. That makes the most sense. All right, you got me excited, BK. We're going to acquire <laughs> Matthew Kachuk. Why didn't we get the tinfoil music ready? With Tanner Hendrickson and Luke Levenger, I'm Brandon Kiley. The junk drawer is coming up in 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, there was some news for the Cardinals that went under the radar this weekend, and I think it means the end of the one one of the more controversial stars in the St. Louis area over the last 20 years. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. As you just heard in that Sports Center update, the Cardinals have made their second round selection in this year's MLB draft. They selected a high school outfielder by the name of Joshua Baez. He apparently holds the comp of Aaron Judge, according to wow. MLB Network. Uh, he is considered to be one of uh, the highest profile power bats in this year's draft. He is committed to play at Vanderbilt right now. So. Um, maybe this has something to do with signability. They were able to get him here. They picked a guy a little bit earlier than some expected in the first round with their pitcher. So maybe there's some signability stuff where they're going to pay him over slot. Um, that That's an interesting pick for them. This feels a lot like what they did last year in the first round when they ended up selecting Jordan Walker, who everybody said, hey, man, if this guy ends up being able to translate to the next level, his power is legit. 
And this is another one of those types of a pick for the Cardinals where they're they're swinging for the fences here, both li- literally and figuratively. And, and Jordan Walker has lived up to the hype so Absolutely. far. He was tearing the cover off the ball down in Palm Beach, and he's gotten off to a rough start in Peoria. And, hey, we had the chance to talk to him on Friday, so go check it out if you missed it. 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. All of the podcasts are presented by I Promise. All right, the other news from the weekend that kind of went under the radar for the Cardinals. Carlos Martinez is officially on the 60-day injured list. Totally lost his thumb. That came out of nowhere. Uh, We all knew that he was going to be out for a while, but we did not know exactly how long it would be. So if you're looking at 60 days, we're talking about at the very earliest. He could maybe make a comeback in September. But realistically speaking, it's probably over for Carlos Martinez this year. His season's probably done, and if his season is done... That likely means his career here in St. Louis is about to come to an end. And it's really interesting to me that we just had the conversation about Vladimir Tarasenko and how his career seems to be coming to an end in St. Louis at the same time as Carlos's. Guys, I think those are two players who kind of went in parallel paths with the Cardinals and the Blues. And what I mean by that is Carlos Martinez for a time was one of the best young pitchers in baseball. Like, statistically speaking, he was one of the most productive players in the sport. And there was a time when I thought Carlos Martinez was eventually going to throw a no-hitter for the Cardinals because of the stuff that he had. I mean, you look back to what he did in 2015-ish, right around that time, 2015, 2016, 3-0 ERA both years, getting up in that 200-inning type of a range, and then the next season, a 3-5 ERA with a 205 innings thrown. That's all-star caliber stuff when you're looking at it. And then things went awry. And the reason they went so far south was because of injuries. And much like Vladimir Tarasenko, who proved more in his career than Carlos Martinez did, to be sure. He was one of the best players in the sport, much less Carlos Martinez, who was one of the best young starters in the sport. But the reason why both guys had their careers go south was because of injuries. And the question was always, can they regain that form? Because if they can, the the type of ceiling that they hold is unlike just about anybody else that you could go out there and acquire. And for the Cardinals, I think this offseason, they're going to make the difficult decision of saying, hey, it's just not in there anymore, at least as a starter. He, he, can't, he can't be that guy anymore. And I think the Blues reached that same point with Vladimir Tarasenko where it just wasn't worth them paying the $7.5 million per season to find out if that all-star caliber player is still in there somewhere. So it stinks to watch this happening at the same time, but I think there are a lot of similarities between the way that things went for Carlos Martinez and the way that things came to an end for Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, I'm with you. Like you mentioned, both guys at the top of their career playing really well here in St. Louis, guys that look like they could be here for a long time, and then it was shoulder injuries that affected both guys. And with Carlos, his injury this year, I I don't know if I'm going to rule him out completely. I mean, he's done as a starter in my opinion he's done I mean I expect the Cardinals go make a move at a deadline to where he if he does come back in September you don't have to put him in the rotation but maybe he could be a guy that could still be effective in the September run that you can put in your bullpen that's something that'll be interesting to see if if he can be that I mean we've seen him come out of the bullpen before he's been okay he was your closer at one point I'll be curious to see if the Cardinals are able to use him in September if he can come back healthy and be a decent bullpen pitcher it'll be interesting I I'm just not expecting it At this point, given the fact that they put him on the 60-day IL so quickly, I'm just going to go ahead and operate under the assumption moving forward, kind of like I have with Jordan Hicks. If he can contribute, great, but I'm going to assume that he's not going to be able to this year. 
So I was reading over at The Athletic earlier today. They put together their biggest surprise and disappointments for the first half of the 2021 season. And the reason I wanted to bring this up while we're talking about Carlos is because they said their biggest disappointment for the Cardinals this year was Carlos. I don't agree with that. Carlos was disappointing, sure, but he did have some high upside starts. I don't think we saw enough to be excited about from Paul DeYoung to consider him to be less of a disappointment than Carlos. If we're doing any, like, the the number one pick on the biggest disappointment draft for the Cardinals in the first half, my, my top choice would easily be Paul DeYoung over Carlos Martinez. I knew this was possible for Carlos. I didn't think that Paul DeYoung was going to have this kind of a season. You mean you didn't see him with a 185 average and a 672 OPS? No, I didn't see that in his range of outcomes for 2021. Huh. Yeah, I'm with you. I didn't either. He, I'm kind of shocked that Carlos did reach that because we talked about him having those this kind of a season where he'd be up and down. Granted, we've seen more downs than we saw ups this season. I, I'm kind of shocked that Paul DeYoung was not number one because coming into the season, he was number one on my list as the most important Cardinal because he's going to hit behind Goldie and Arnato. And he got that opportunity, and he did nothing with it. And to be quite honest with you, probably really slowed down the offense to begin the season. Oh, absolutely did. There's no question about it. He was considered to be their cleanup hitter going into the year, and he never really hit like that. I mean, I I don't even know who else would be in the same range as him. Like, I think if we were drafting this going with the top five biggest disappointments of 2021, I would say my number one pick would be Paul DeYoung. Number two pick would be tough. I think it almost to me, it almost have to be Carlos. I know I know expectations weren't high for him, but it was still very disappointing to see how this thing has really just kind of fallen apart. I mean, you could kind of see it coming, and then it was just like he hit a wall, and then it just fell apart right away. That's fair. It, that that might be my number two pick would be Carlos as well. I, I don't know. It, it's kind of weird to say this. I don't know who three is. I don't know that they've had a ton of guys that I'm like, man, that guy really underperformed relative to expectations. Um, I think at the beginning of the year, that was true of Paul Goldschmidt, but now he's starting to hit a little bit better. Is it fair for me to say that number three might be Dylan Carlson? Like I, uh, he's See, a year two say, player and he has a Edmund. 735 OPS. So I don't think that's bad necessarily, but it's a little under what I would have hoped for. I, I would say Tommy Edmund. I think Carlson, I can kind of understand because this is t- technically his rookie season. That's fair. And I thought coming into the year, we'd kind of see these up and downs with Carlos. Sure. Tommy Edmond isn't a rookie anymore, and he started off really well. And then we were having these talks about, oh, this is a this is a Ben Zobris guy. He's really fallen off. His OPS, and again, I don't really expect his OPS to be high, but his OPS is 671. He's got a 299 on base percentage. His on base percentage isn't even at 300. So I look at Tommy Edmond, a guy that was supposed to, and maybe it's because he was supposed to fill the role of a Colton Wong, which may have been too high of an expectation for him. His defense has been good, but offensively at the plate, he's really struggled of late, and he's not really lived up to being a leadoff hitter, in my opinion. I think that's fair. I, I think that's probably the one. Um, the next guy that I would go with would probably be Helsley. I thought Helsley had a better chance than he's shown so far this year to become that fourth guy. And it's weird because he'll go like two weeks of being the best guy in the, the Hell, uh, bullpen. Put him in the circle of trust for a week. He's got that kind of stuff. And then he goes another week where he is completely lost and he looks like he doesn't belong in the majors. So I think he would probably be fourth for me on the biggest disappointments the, list. The only reason I would push back on Helsley a little bit is because he's really good with inherited runners on. He's been effective when there are guys on and he comes in. Now, he struggles in a clean inning. But when, when <laughs> Which guys, is kind of important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, whatever. But when the guys are on, he does do a pretty good job of getting out of the jam. Can I throw another name at you that might yeah. fit into five? And maybe it's unfair because he's been hurt most of the year. How about Daniel Ponce de Leon? We kind of expected him to I was about take to put jump. him onto my list, too. Yeah, he, he kind I of think a lot of that's injury-related, I know, though. and it's tough to sit, jump on him for the injuries. But I think we had this expectation that for he sure. would take the next step and become a decent number 5 starter for you. And again, it just didn't click. We saw the one great start against Miami where he was just throwing nothing but fastballs and he looked really good. And that was about all we saw. And then it went downhill from there. It's interesting because as much as we talk about the offense underperforming, we've mentioned Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmond as the real disappointments in in the offense. And then we mentioned a bunch of pitchers. And a lot of that is related to health. I, I cannot put my finger on what's gone wrong with this offense. I just don't understand why they are performing the way that they are. Because not like a lot of them are having all-time bad seasons. It's just a lot of them being kind of, eh. Like just in the middle of like 50 percentile outcomes, like they're they're just average in every possible way. And the result of that is they're not performing up to expectations. So it's it's strange to see it go this route. And you look, and you look at OPS plus, which maybe that's a too big of an advanced nerdy number for me to be taking a look at. But that's kind of what the numbers say. I mean, you've got Yadi right at average at 100. You've got Edmund and DeYoung around 89, 88. So those two guys are below average. Carlson's right above average at 108. Really, the two guys that stand out in OPS Plus is O'Neal and Arnado. Goldschmidt, yeah. too. I guess Goldie's at 115. Everybody else is just sitting kind of average. Everybody's around that, like, 90 to 110. Yeah. They're, they're right around that area. And for anybody that's not aware of the stat, it's at 100 is average. Anything above that is that percent above league average. And then anything below that oh, is that percent below I just solved the average. offensive problems. Ali Sanchez has 174 OPS Plus. He's Bring the him guy. up. Get, get him more involved. With Tanner Hendrickson and Luke Clevenger, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, some more under-the-radar comments from the weekend. Nolan Arenado was on scoops with Danny Mack's website over the weekend. I thought he said something that'll make Cardinals fans feel a little better about his future. Plus, coming up next, we're going to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. It's Tanner Hendrickson and Luke Clevenger. I'm Brandon Kylie Alex Ferrario out this week on vacation. Well-deserved vacation. He'll be back next Monday. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. I will kick things off for us today, guys, because hell hath no fury like a scorned woman. And wow, this woman was scorned. This woman, according to a news story, deliberately ran 49 red lights in her ex-boyfriend's car in order to rack up fines after he left her for another woman. So let me tell you the details on this story. According to the report, this woman in eastern China uh, had her friend rent this guy's car. And as he rented the car, he lent it to her. So that way she could devise this plan of racking up as many traffic stops as she possibly could. So she just ran over the course of a few days... 49 red lights before she was eventually stopped by the police, explained what was going on. Of course, she was arrested for this plot. They didn't understand? <laughs> That's kind of Because shocking. you're not supposed to, you know, run 50 red lights over the course of multiple days. What? 
I have certainly done a few things in my past where Kara could have done this, my fiance could have done this, and I would have been like, yeah, I get that. That's probably That's pretty understandable. But man, I cannot even imagine if you're this gentleman who, imagine if she didn't get caught for a second. Just imagine these are the sensors, right? That they can, they've got the video cameras mm-hmm. and they send you the bill in the mail just because it goes to you instead of the person that's renting your car just based on your license plates. I'm trying to imagine the face on this guy if he got that bill and he's like, how did I get $50,000 racked up in traffic bills when I haven't even driven my car over the last two weeks? Oh, yeah, that would be a nightmare. I I can't eat. I don't even know how you react to that. Are you just in stun? Like, do you even go to the place and complain? You're just. Oh, you got to know it was her. Yeah, you, I, I yeah, really like, you think it's you just jump to the not like a uh, mistaken in no. if she's wow. capable of doing this, you would know she's capable of doing <laughs> you this. You knew. Yeah, there was a point in time well, in the relationship. You should know not to sleep with another lady then. Come well, on. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> that is fair. But there had to have been another point in time during the relationship where this gentleman knew that this was possible. Yeah, he's going through his like his contacts list. He's like, okay, who would do such a thing? Oh, you know what? It's not a it's not a question between four or five people. There no. is one in his life Wait, that's we, capable of we this. We don't know how they met, right? Like, should I be afraid of something like this coming from Tinder? Oh, my guess would be that this was definitely a Tinder date at some point. Really? It's the Chinese yeah. version of Tinder. There's yeah. got to be. Oh, I bet you they use Tinder. Oh, Tinder's got to be worldwide, it, right? I, th- I would think they have like the, the Tencent has some kind of Chinese specific app there or something. Let's see here. Is Tinder worldwide? It is a global online dating platform available in at least 190 countries. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. While you're on the while you're on the computer, can you see what the Chinese the Mandarin word for a restraining order is? Absolutely not. (laughs) Oh, Tinder is apparently blocked in China. Oh, there it is. Wait, isn't it a Chinese-owned company? It's probably like WeChat or something. No, no, no. no, Sorry, that's TikTok. Tinder does not work in China. It's probably from the from the six three six. My ex cut the tongues out of all my shoes. That would be annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. What is your best ex girlfriend, ex boyfriend, whatever story that you've got? We, we've got to hear some of these because I don't have anything that good. Um, I don't have anything on this level actually. Where I, I dated a girl who was just an insane human being and ended up doing something like that because that typically, I would guess, happens after college. And I've been with the same girl since college. I don't have one. I, I know really? of a crazy girl that I talked to for a while, but I didn't date her because I knew she's crazy. So I, I'm kind of taking a little bit of pride in myself over here right now. I don't honestly, none of my buddies had to deal with anything like this either. Now, they've dealt with some like borderline stalker tendencies from girls in the past, but not not anything like this where it reached the point of police being involved for somebody doing something completely insane. I don't even know how I'd react if I found out my ex cut the tongues out of all my shoes. 636, how did you react when you Probably realized that? Probably by buying new shoes. Well, that's annoying. I would imagine that's the first thing that you I, have to do there. I have a cousin. This isn't crazy. It's not the same brand of crazy. I have a cousin who came home and uh, his girlfriend uh, had a child. Like, well, he was out with the guys, came home one night, and he's like, she's like, oh, that weight I gained, I was pregnant. Here's the kid. <laughs> wow. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to determine, like, gold, bronze, and silver, where that ranks. I feel like that's a gold winner over the guy whose uh, ex ended up taking his car out for a joyride. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 314, my ex slashed my tires and spray painted my car a different color. That's rough, but you... 
Spray what? paint job is so amateurish. Yeah, Come you on, can guys. get through that one. Tires are expensive, BK. Yeah, listen, I mean it's it's not cheap, but you can you can make it through. Um, from the six three six, a girl I was seeing <laughs> stabbed me in the hand with a fork. <laughs> what? Wow. My dad's ex wife burned his clothes on the front lawn. <laughs> Who are the My people God. in your life? <laughs> My God, man. Some of our some of our texts, some of these I can't mention on the air. <laughs> I can't mention a few of these. No, uh, I don't think I ever want a girlfriend now. I think I'm gonna go single for life. This seems uh well, nerve-wracking to see all this stuff coming in on the text line. This is amazing. Yeah, some of these, I feel like half of these had to have come from Tinder. Half of these had to, the, the, the way that these started was a crazy night out that went really well. You ended up having a great evening. It led to date number two, three, and four. Everything seemed like it was going according to plan. And then date five or six happened. Mm-hmm. Something went wrong. You sent her off the deep end, or him. Could have gone either mm-hmm. way, right? And from there, you found out exactly what the true callers were with this individual. It's got to be a date five or six thing, too, right? Because, like, if, oh, you yeah. date, if you dated this girl for, like, six, seven, eight months or whatever, you know by this point, like, what's going to push your buttons. It's got to be a five or six. That's the sweet spot for this kind of Somebody stuff. Somebody said they burned all of their Green Bay Packers jerseys. Man, can you imagine if you were, like, That's the not... biggest Cardinals fan in the world and oh. you've got all kinds of Cardinals memorabilia? I, I collect jerseys. I'm wincing at that. That is That is legitimately massive, like, money down the drain. Oh, that's brutal. Absolutely brutal. That's got to be the worst case scenario. My ex stole my truck. Whoa! <laughs> Damn, man. That ain't so, some of these. Somebody said my ex kicked me out and then took my dogs. Oh I wait, did like, you see that one? I, I see like, one that says uh, my ex moved out careful. while I was on a business trip. Careful. She left the dog. Oh, I see. Careful. <laughs> Tanner Hendricks and Luke Clevenger. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of in or out. Coming up next, though, Nolan Arenado made some interesting comments over the weekend that he sees his future in St. Louis as being more than a one-year thing. We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So we have some news coming out of Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. Angel star Shohei Otani will be the American League All-Star team starting pitcher, and he will bat leadoff as the designated hitter. He will do so less than 24 hours after competing in the home run derby as the number one seed. We, seed rather, We've never seen anything like this. This is incredible. Shohei Otani is quite literally an unprecedented player in the history of the sport, and we didn't need this to know that, but... For a guy to be the number one seed in the home run derby, and then for the next day, he is the starting pitcher for the American League All-Star team, and he's going to bat lead off as the DH. That's It's insane. I mean, people compare him to Babe Ruth, but Babe Ruth didn't have speed the way that we're seeing with Shohei Otani. He's going to steal 30 bags this year. It's, it, this is... I mean, we're we're officially out of adjectives to describe what we're watching with him, but unprecedented is is certainly one that applies. Let, let me ask you this: Do you think Shohei Otani is just a unicorn, or do you think we're starting to see something kind of become of the game of baseball? And the way I say it is, I don't think there's ever going to be a player that can hit 30 bombs and be a guy that could go out and win 15 games and have an ERA around three. But I wonder if we see some teams take a look at Shohei Otani. We see a lot of draft prospects. Mason wins one of them in the Cardinals system that is a shortstop but also was a pitcher. The Cardinals have basically kind of converted him into a shortstop yeah. and ditched him pitching. 
I wonder if more teams start to look at players like this. I wouldn't mind seeing more guys like this. And we I understand they're not going to be the same way as Shohei Otani. It's too hard. It's just too hard. And I know that sounds um, like a cop-out, but I think it diminishes just how special Shohei Otani is to suggest that this is going to become a trend. Um, it It's just too difficult to become that talented and that skilled. And those are two different things. Talent and then it's also the skill that you acquire over time to be able to do it successfully at that level in the major leagues. Can another guy do it in the next 30 years? Maybe it's possible, but no, I I don't think you're going to see a trend of this because the guys that are, whether it be starters or position players, it's hard enough to do one of those things, much less be able to do both of them at a high level the way Shohei does. And we've seen guys attempt it too. The Reds, Michael Lorenzo tried playing in the outfield and tried pitching and he's mostly had to stick with pitching. He hasn't been able to hit the ball as well. Yeah, it, it's it's been tried, but nobody else has been able to do what we've seen from Shohei Otani. It, that's, that is absolutely incredible. Uh, by the way, somebody says, how is Otani batting as a DH and also pitching? If you have a pitcher in the American League, you can give up the designated hitter. Basically, that's the way it works, and it's the all-star game, so they can do whatever the hell they want. Um, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show today. By the way, for the National League, it's just been announced Max Scherzer is going to be the starting pitcher as well. Future so future Cardinal. Cardinal Max Scherzer is your National League starting pitcher for the All-Star game. Didn't want to talk about another All-Star and Nolan Arenado, who's made his first appearance as a Cardinal. He's going to tomorrow night. He was on Scoops with Danny Mac, one of the podcasts from that uh, website. You can check it out, scoopswithdannymac.com. And I thought it was interesting the way he talked about his, his tenure here in St. Louis. He was asked, you know, The opt-outs are still there. You're halfway through your first season. Is that something you're thinking about right now? And he basically seemed to suggest, hey, let's just go ahead and shut all of that down right now. We can go ahead and stop talking about that. I love it here, so I plan on staying. You know, it's funny how people freak out about that stuff. You know, I, I'm, I plan on being a Cardinal for the rest of my way out. If Mo, didn't, if Mo told me he didn't want me no more, then maybe I would have to, like, decide if I got to leave or something. But I think that, you know, I want to play with Wayno and Yachty again. I know they're on one of your zeals, but I hope they come back. This is my recruiting tape. But, no, you know, I, I love it. I love it here, and I, would, I definitely want to come back, and I want to play my whole career out here. I mean, that spells it out pretty simply. I was never worried about the opt-outs for Nolan Arenado to begin with, but I know that that has been a topic of conversation with this season not going the way that anybody expected it to for the Cardinals. So if you were somebody that was previously concerned about the opt-outs, Tanner, do you think that quells some of those concerns? I think it should. I mean, it came straight from the guy telling you, hey, I love it here. I'm not going to opt out. And I was kind of with you. I had no concerns. But I think now that Nolan Arnato has made some comments publicly that people can hear, and he says, I love it here. I want to come back. I want to come play in St. Louis. I want to come play with Wayno, and I want to come play with Yachty, two guys that if they don't retire, we expect to be back here in St. Louis. To me, I think that has to pull it because he's publicly saying, I love it here in St. Louis. Basically, I have no plans of leaving. Before, I could kind of understand people saying it because we hadn't heard public comments. But even then, I felt strongly myself that he wasn't going to opt out. It just didn't make sense from a business perspective. The other thing that he said on this podcast, and by the way, it's courtesy of scoopswithdannymac.com, was something that I think if you're a Cardinals fan, one of the main questions you have, hey, how is he going to respond to the Cardinals not adding at the deadline? I think this also puts an end to that question. You can't define, you know, I don't want my Cardinals career to be a one-year thing. You know, I came here with the incentive of trying to help this team win for a while. And, you know, let's just say it doesn't work out this year. That doesn't mean it can't next year or the following. So, you know, I plan on being here. Um, Like I said, hopefully they want me here and 
we can just uh, it would be a good relationship like it has been you know i see a lot of great things coming I mean, that basically said right there, hey, yeah, I know things aren't going very well this year. I know we might end up either holding or potentially even selling at the deadline, but I'm not here for just the one season. I'm here for the long haul, and I expect it to be a consistent, sustained winner. That's why I wanted to come to St. Louis. That sounded like it was John Mosellock talking. Like you could have if I put you, if I showed you that quote on a piece of paper instead of hearing it. And clearly, obviously, we all know that's Nolan Arenado. You would have thought, okay, yeah, that quote might be from John Mosellock instead of Nolan Arenado. It sounds like the same thing he said. You think Arenado's got a bow tie? Maybe. He probably would rock a bow tie, honestly, though. Uh, you know, him saying that, he's smart. He realized that this team is struggling, as you mentioned. But he also, what was his main problem in Colorado is they wouldn't go spend to become a better team. The yep. Cardinals have over $60 million coming off the books this offseason. I guarantee you, John Mozeliak has told Nolan Arenado, hey, look, we may not do something this year, but we're going to go make a splash next year in free agency. They're probably going to spend that $60 million, if not maybe just a little bit more, to improve this team next season. And that is what Nolan Arenado wanted to see in Colorado, and Colorado wouldn't do it. The Cardinals have money coming off the books, and unlike Colorado who would say, no, 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 we've got talent, or we're going to go sign veterans that were kind of washed up at that point, like Daniel Murphy, Ian Desmond, the Cardinals can say, no, look, we're going to go out. We're going to spend big for you. They're probably not going to go get Trevor Story, so don't send in the text about the shortstop market because I don't think they're going to do that. But they are going to add pieces that are going to help this team next year, and that's all Nolan Arnauto wanted to see in Colorado, and he never got that. Yeah, I, I'm going to be interested to see what this offseason holds, but I think hearing these comments from Nolan Arnauto, it puts to rest any of the talk about him opting out of his contract at a minimum after this season. I just don't see that as a likely option for him i don't think that the cardinals are worried about it whatsoever six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show we do have a little bit of news to pass along for the cardinals with the 70th overall pick in the mlb draft they have selected ryan holgate uh looks like he's an outfielder out of the university of arizona ryan holgate an outfielder out of the university of arizona the second outfielder in this round has been selected by the cardinals with the 70th overall pick this is their competitive balance pick uh so he ends up being the selection with their 70th overall pick the national league lineup is also out for the all-star game fernando tatis jr will bat first he will be playing shortstop max muncie is your national league designated hitter batting second nolan arenado is going to be batting third playing third freddie freeman will play first and bat cleanup for the national league nick castellanos and jesse winker back to back five six in this lineup you have jt real muto behind the plate as your catcher batting seventh and then it's brian reynolds in center field batting eighth and adam frazier batting ninth and playing at second that's your national league lineup nolan arenado going to be batting third and playing third for the national oh, league tomorrow night how cruel they put the pirate last come on they put both pirates last oh. brian reynolds and adam frazier it is kind of amazing the national league central has one two three four five players in the starting lineup for the national league because you got Nolan Arenado, Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker, Brian Reynolds, Adam Frazier. None of the players for the team that is in first place in the division are on this National League for all-star lineup. And yet the other teams that are behind them uh, all have at least one and some of them, there's, too. There's, if, I'm, if I'm looking at this correctly, is there one guy in the starting lineup that's on a first place team? There's not, right? Uh, there's no, no Giants, the Giants, no Met. 
Yeah, and then no, no Brewer. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. None of, the, none of the National League first place teams have a starter in the National League lineup. That's amazing. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line in or out coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Guys, let's start with this one. In or out, the Saints are the single most overrated team in the NFL going into the 2021 season. They're over under for wins this year, currently set at nine. And don't forget, they are moving on from Drew Brees this offseason, or he's moved on. He's decided to retire. And we don't know who their starting quarterback's going to be in 2021. In or out, the Saints are the most overrated team in the NFL. As a Buccaneers fan, absolutely yes. All right, they're going to lose two straight to the Are you a new Buccaneers fan? My first NFL game I ever watched was 2008, Week 16, Buccaneers uh, against the Oakland Raiders. How do you remember which were, week it was? Because that was this, John. This the, man said week 16. That Dude, was, I don't even remember what I had or, for dinner no, it was, last it night. It was week 17. My bad. Because oh, it was the one where John Gruden. Right. Yeah, it was the last game of the season. John Gruden had just choked away four straight, win, four straight wins, and the Buccaneers missed the playoffs, and we all booed John Gruden out of the building. Okay. But yeah, they're going to look They're in a, the, the Buccaneers have figured something out in the last half of the last season. I think they're going to uh, take two from the Saints right there. And there's just so many questions. Drew Brees brings a lot of intangibles in knowledge that the quarterback in the quarterback position that you, you probably aren't going to find with anybody else. All right. Um, I I'm see. I don't think New Orleans is going to be maybe overrated. Maybe. But I don't think they're going to be the most overrated. I I, I think the team that's going to fill that role is going to be the Patriots. People seem to think the Patriots are a 9-10 win team. They're over-under set at 9 yeah. on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now. I, cha-ching. I, I, I could see the Patriots being a 6-win team. I am not sold on this Patriots team. Cam Newton's going to be your starting quarterback come week one more than likely. I mean, we saw that experiment. He didn't really add enough weapons for me on offense to go, yeah, there we go. He added a couple of tight ends. Defensively, they'll be better, but if you don't have a quarterback that can play the position well, Mac Jones is going to go through learning curves. He's going to struggle probably in his first year. I'm sorry. The, to me, New England's probably a six-win team. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think my team that I'm going to go with if they go into the season with their current quarterback is going to be the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos over-under right now is set at eight and a half. Drew Locke, baby. It's going to be really tough for them to hit the over if Drew Locke's their starting quarterback all year long. And I say that as a Mizzou guy. I is love Drew Locke. a little bit or no? But I don't, I don't think that that's going to work there. Okay. So, Teddy, maybe he gets an option, and then he's not very good either. So what, Even with Brad Bridgewater, it's not eight and a half. No, because the they division, got a good defense. It, they've got a great defense. They might have one of the three best defenses in the league, but you got to be able to score some points. And if you're going up against the Chargers and the Chiefs twice a year, and you've got a difficult out of conference schedule this season, I just don't see things going particularly well for the Broncos. So that's the one that I would say is going to be the most overrated team in the NFL this year. So I'm out. I don't think it's the Saints. I think it's the Broncos actually for me. In or out, guys, earlier today, ESPN.com put together their rankings of the 10 best quarterbacks according to NFL executives. They had Matthew Stafford ranked at number six on this list. Okay. They had Dak Prescott at number seven, Lamar Jackson at number eight, Justin Herbert at number nine, and Kyler Murray at number 10. In or out, 
Matthew Stafford should be off of this list. He's more likely to be down at 11 than he is at number six in your rankings. Wow. We're going to throw Stafford under the bus? Number six is absurd. Well, you know, the why sixth he, best quarterback in the sport. I can tell you why he's number six, because he's going to be put in an offensive system where he should thrive in okay. Sean McVay's. That's why he's six. And they said that's day on Get Up. I was watching Get Up, and they said he probably got a four-point boost from having uh, Sean McVay as his coach. I don't know if I'd go as far to say that he should be outside the top 10, though. So I'm going to say out. I think he can be 10. I don't think Kyler Murray's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL right now. He hasn't proven it to me. Matthew Stafford's at least gotten Detroit to the playoffs way back Would when. Would you take Stafford over Joe Burrow? Yeah. Just because Burrow's coming off the injury, I don't know what okay. I'm going to get. So, yeah, I would do that. So, I guess I'm technically in on this, but I think he'd be because he'd be top 10. I'm on the same page as Tanner is, really. Wow. I think I think he's... We've got Matt Stafford nine, fans on this show. Nine or ten. <laughs> yeah, we do. I just... Look, I, I think his time in Detroit is more defined by Detroit failing than him failing. And I just... I. I think he brings kind of a veteran presence. He should thrive under Sean McVay. And I agree. Six is is absurd, right? But I can name a whole lot of quarterbacks, dare I say about 20 quarterbacks, uh, that I would uh, take behind Matthew Stafford right now. I mean, that's fair. But at some point, you do have to win, right? Yeah. And I know that he's in Detroit, and I get it. That is not an easy situation. There have been a lot of players that have gone there to fail. I, I totally get all of that. But Matt Stafford has never really done any winning in Detroit. And at some point, if I consider you to be a top 10 quarterback, like the Falcons have been a losing franchise for much of their history. Mm -hmm. Matt Ryan, I believe to be a pretty good quarterback. And he found a way to get them at least for one season to being one of the best teams in the league. And he won an MVP as a result. Previously, when it was Tony Gonzalez and him, they had some good seasons where they ended up going to the playoffs and losing eventually to teams like the Packers. But if you're a top 10 quarterback, I need you to be able to elevate those around you. I just don't know that we've seen Matt Stafford do that a ton. I'm out on Matt Stafford as a top five guy for sure. I think I'm out on him as a top 10 guy. I certainly do not think he's better than Dak Prescott or Lamar Jackson or Justin Herbert. I think I'd take Kyler over him. I think I would probably take Joe Burrow over him. And then I probably have him right in that next category. I'd have him like 12th among think, NFL quarterbacks right now. I think that's fair. And this will be Matthew Stafford's defying season because yeah. what is Sean yeah, McVay? No excuses. Sean McVay gets a lot of credit for getting to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff as his quarterback, as he probably should because Jared Goff is terrible. Now, you get a quarterback in Matthew Stafford. Now it's going to be, okay, Stafford, we got you out of Detroit. Can you put up good numbers now that you're going to be in this offensive system with this offensive genius in McVay? Stafford struggles or the Rams offense struggles, the fingers are probably going to point to Matthew Stafford. And then it's a legitimate conversation, in my opinion. The funny thing is we've got people talking about his numbers. Like, yeah, Matt Stafford put up some big time. Is he like your volume numbers? No, but like, I I feel like we always point back to his 2011 when he threw for 5,000 yards and 41 touchdowns. And yeah, it was a good season, but everybody in the NFL threw for, a million yards in 2011. Okay. That was the year the offense exploded around the league. So I I don't know, man. He, he's just, he's a good player. 
I do not think I would have him in that great category. And to be considered a top six quarterback in the league, I think you have to be considered to be great. Somebody here is going to be really, really wrong after this season. Like, no matter how he plays, it's either he's either going to tank or he's going to be the best quarterback in the league. We've always known it. Well, that's that's a little much. But you get what I'm saying, though. Like, this is such an important season for him. We're going to be wrong either way. Hey, I'm extremely excited to see how he performs as a Rams fan. So that's all I care about. Okay. Well, you just lost our audience. In or out, guys. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the Packers starting quarterback and he will show up for day one of training camp. I don't know if you saw the comments over the weekend, but he said at the pro-am, hey, I'll make that decision in a couple of weeks as it pertains to his future. Well, look at the calendar. A couple of weeks from now, the training camp is getting ready to start. Tanner in or out. Rodgers, after everything that we've talked about this offseason, is going to be the Packers quarterback and he'll be there for day one. I'm out. I don't think Rodgers is going to be there day one. I'm not convinced Rodgers is going to be there all year. I, I think he's forcing the hand of the Packers to trade him, and I don't think they will. I think they're going to ho- try and hold the cards. They'll go to the Jordan Love experiment, see how it goes for a year, and then we'll see if they buckle to Rodgers' demands. Aaron Rodgers is living our boy Ryan Braun's life, man. He's teeing him high, letting him fly. He's playing a little golf, playing at the pro I don't consider Ryan Braun to be our boy. Oh, no? No. I thought he's kind of cool, like some Rams fan. Not a say. fan. So I'm, I'm out. I don't think he's going to be there week one, and I'm almost to the point. I'm not sure he's going to be there at all this season. Uh, I think I think I'm in. I think he starts this year. Look, I, everybody else I can I can think of that uh, had a, you know a big holdout with did it for contract money. This one feels a little different. His trade value is just gonna you know it's gonna plummet, and I think he knows it. And I think that the longer he sticks out, the more the Packers just go you know whatever. I'm in. He's gonna play. He's going to be back. I think this whole thing all offseason was him being able to make a storyline for people to feel bad for him. I think he's going to end up being back, and we'll see him in the car, in the Packers lineup in a week. I know one. this is kind of a fast lane special, but you want to put it on the board, put some money on it? Oh, for sure. Play I'll put a sixer on in that. Week one. How much we put on we'll it? We'll put a six-pack on that. All right. I need to do that against you. Okay, so Aaron Rodgers will be the Packers starting quarterback in week one. Correct. That's what and we're going he, with here. Just week one. If, he, if he's yeah. not a starting quarterback then I win. If he is barring injury, let's, let's okay, put that's, an injury. Yeah, okay, that's good. That's good. Now he's back I'm fair with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy to put a, a nice six pack on that for you. Man, All right. Got a free cool. six pack coming my way. This I is like great. It. In or out guys. Final one here for you as we're talking uh Cardinals to finish things up in or out. The Cardinals will make at least one trade of significance before the trade deadline. Cardinals make at least one trade of significance before the deadline. This doesn't mean buy or sell, but they make one trade of significance. Does this count bringing in like a reliever, maybe top, maybe a top end reliever, like, like a, a Brad Daniel Hudson? Yeah. Daniel Hudson. Yeah. I'm, I'm in then. I think they will look to add, if they can't get a starting pitcher, I think they will go to the next uh, tier. And I don't think the next tier is another starter. I think the next tier is an elite bullpen arm and a Daniel Hudson or a Brad hand would make perfect sense for this Cardinals bullpen. So I'm in, I think they will do that. Uh, I am in, but I, I'm going to add a caveat. They do make oh, a move. Boo. Well, I'm, you, look, I think bullpen arm or low-end reliever is what they're going to do. So, yeah, they do made a, make a move of significance, but I think that no matter what, Cardinal fans, like the 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 way that the move is going to shake out, the Cardinals fans are going to be like, this isn't going to be enough. I think that at the end, you make a move for of quote-unquote significance, but it's not enough significance to really change your hand that much this year. I think they're going to... I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say all day you've been telling me about how we're going to go on this like 48 and 20 run. And then you're just going to come over here and say out. They're not going to make a significant move. I was going to say you better be in on this. I'm in. I'm in. I think they're going to make a move. I think they're going to end up getting a starting pitcher. I don't know who it'll be, but 
I look at the Braves right now, and whether it be Charlie Morton or Drew Smiley, both of those guys make a ton of sense for the Cardinals. I don't know what it would take to get them, but if the Braves decide, hey, with Ronald Acuna out, let's be honest, this is true, they're not going to be playing for anything of significance this year. Let's go ahead and reset. Next offseason, we'll try it again. I think that's the type of a team that the Cardinals could really take advantage of. So I'm going to go with they will make a trade, and it'll be for one of those Brave starters or somebody similar to that. I'm curious real quick. Do you think that the trade they make is going to be a two-year guy or just a one-year rental? What do you think? I mean, I think we both know they would prefer to get a guy that's for two years. Do you think they can do that? I don't think think there's going to be one available. think they're going to go rental then? Yeah, I think they go rental because of the cost. I don't think they're going to be able to find somebody that is at the cost they're willing to spend to be here for the next two years. I don't think that's going to be available for them. So I I think they end up with a rental. With Tanner Hendrickson and Luke Clevenger, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. But coming up next, if you are somebody that currently believes the Cardinals will make a run in the second half, is that a statement in favor of the Cardinals or a statement against what you think of Milwaukee or Cincinnati. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We also have the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Are you more confident in the Cardinals or have a lack of confidence in the rest of the division? want to hear from you guys next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So lots of news coming in. We're going to go ahead and call an audible here. Instead of talking baseball, we're going to end up talking a little bit of blues because there's a lot of news coming out of the NHL. The first thing comes from the Chicago Blackhawks. According to Frank Saravalli, sounds like it's a done deal. The Chicago Blackhawks are trading Duncan Keith to the Edmonton Oilers in exchange for Caleb Jones and a third round draft pick. Now, the big question here was, is there going to be salary retained by Chicago because Duncan Keith is a significant salary cap uh, hit at $5.5 million for this year and next year. Duncan Keith is 38 years old. So you would have figured, okay, if you're going to send somebody in return and a draft pick, you're probably going to require the Chicago Blackhawks to hold a little bit of that salary. Maybe you end up taking that down to like $3 million. So the Blackhawks pay two and a half. I'm paying three. That makes a lot of sense. Nope. That will not be required. They're going to take on the full salary for Duncan Keith. Edmonton will. If you're a Blues fan, this should give you a lot of belief that there is a market out there, maybe better than expected, for players making significant money. And that should help the Blues find a place for Vladimir Tarasenko. That is the first thing, first portion on this. Second portion of news from the NHL. Lou Korak just tweeted, Free agency is two weeks away, and one of the most coveted players will be Gabriel Landeskog. Lou Korak is told that the Blues will, quote, apply a full pitch effort for Avs captain if he hits the open market. The feeling is that he would be a great fit as a left-wing linemate with pal Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, end quote. That comes from Lou Korak. He's on Twitter, at LKorak10. Piecing these things together and talking about what we did earlier today, why the Bruins seem to be the best fit for a Vladimir Tarasenko trade, I think the number one priority for the Blues is Gabriel Landeskog. 
And if that is the case, I think it tells me that the Blues have basically been told by the Calgary Flames, hey, Kachuk, probably not an option this offseason, which totally fine. That was the expected outcome there. Maybe he's a blue in 2022. The other thing that it does as a secondary piece to all of this is if I'm Doug Armstrong, my priority, priority number one in any trade for Vladimir Tarasenko is making sure that I am able to eliminate as much of his salary from the cap sheet as possible. Because if you're gonna tr- if you're gonna sign Gabriel Landeskog and you still want to be able to go out there and get next offseason Matthew Kachuk, you're gonna need some flexibility moving forward. Because Landeskog is not going to come cheap. He's gonna be six plus million dollars per season at a minimum. So that is why I go back to the Bruins, like we talked about earlier today. They have options for you that are cheap. If you want to go to the Bruins and talk about Trent Frederick, well, he's on a two-year deal worth $1 million per season. If you want to talk to them about Jake DeBrusque, well, now you've just inserted a guy into maybe the second or third line left winger spot at $3.7 million for this year. So you're saving about $4 million on the cap by trading them Vladimir Tarasenko and bringing back Jake DeBrusque. The Blues, based on this trade, should be feeling pretty good about their ability to trade Vladimir Tarasenko without retaining retaining salary. This is big-time news in the NHL right now. And, and you know, the thing that's really baffling to me is that it's a good team that's taking on salary. Yeah. It, it, yeah. If you had told me that someone like Detroit was taking on this contract so they were maybe getting a pick involved and they were going to eat the money, I'd say, okay, that makes sense. A team that's maybe not going to be involved in the pursuit of the Stanley Cup next year this is the Edmonton Oilers. This is a team that has their championship window, in their opinion, open with Connor McDavid. And to me, this this signals to me that, yeah, I'm with you. There's teams around the league that will be willing to take on money. You just have to find them, and that has to be the number one priority. And in my opinion, it has to be something you want to try and get done not only before free agency starts, but possibly before the expansion draft lists have to be submitted. And that's, I think the list is due on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's Friday, and then it becomes public on Sunday, if I'm not that's, mistaken. Okay, yeah, that's correct. So, yeah, to me, you have to try and get this done before the expansion uh, draft list needs to be put in. But, yeah, this is very encouraging. As a Blues fan, and I bet Armstrong is really excited to see the news of, well, you mean they didn't take on salary? Why should we be taking on all of Vladdy's salary, or a good chunk of Vladdy's salary, when we just saw the Edmonton Oilers take on a guy out of his prime and his full five and a half million dollar cap hit could set the market. And that's what the blues needed. They need somebody to be able to jump the market, to get to the front of the line for one of these expensive, potentially overpaid veterans. And for that team to take on the full salary, the blues needed somebody to be that team. And the Edmonton Oilers were the willing participant. There's a lot. There's a lot of front offices who I would say are better than Edmonton, but there's also a lot of front offices who I'd say are worse than Edmonton. Right. I'm looking here and I'm going, well, this is, this is wide open now. Right. I don't know, you know, what you would look at at like a team like the coyotes, but a team like the coyotes thrive on eating cap. Right. I don't, the only problem, is I don't know if the Bruins do it. The Bruins are in a, a different situation than I, than you know any team that would really eat a cap. But I say that three hours ago, I would have said the exact same thing about Edmonton. Is I don't think they're going to you know eat cap. They're trying to push forward. I just the the market just completely changed in the last like two or so hours. So there is one thing. This comes from Mark Spector of uh, Sportsnet up in Canada that is worth mentioning. While he does hold, uh, talking about Duncan Keith, an $11 million cap hit over the next two years, he's only going to be paid in salary about $3.5 million. So this is cash versus cash, which gets super confusing, but basically it's this. The cap hit for any player is the average annual value value of that deal. Mm -hmm. Duncan Keith was paid most of his money up front. 
He got it, he got it front loaded. So his salary per year in terms of the cash that he's actually paid, like what he will see at the end of the day, it gets lower and lower as the contract goes on. So he's paid less in cash, but in terms of the cap sheet, what they have to account for, it's still going to be the exact same every single year of that deal. Does that make sense? Yeah. So for him going to Edmonton, Edmonton's only on the hook cash wise to on their salary sheet, pay him three and a half million dollars the next two years. It's the opposite for Vladimir Tarasenko. His cap hit this year is seven and a half million dollars. He's actually paid in cash nine million dollars right, this year. The mood, BK. So there might be teams that are more willing to take on a player like Duncan Keith than Vladimir Tarasenko. That's worth keeping in mind. However, the cap hit still stays the same, and that's worth monitoring. Um, I'm going to be interested to see if this plays into what uh, what the Blues are able to get for Vladimir Tarasenko. So that's a big one, big, big story in the NHL, and now we'll see what it means for uh, for Vladdy's future here in St. Louis as well. I'm also curious to see what this Gabriel Landeskog thing ends up being. Maybe we'll talk with Luke Horak about that tomorrow. With Tanner Hendrickson and Luke Clevenger, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Cross things over with the fast lane. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. We've got Anthony Stalter in studio. Stalter, what's, what's up, good, boys? man? All good. Good conversation to chat with uh, with Benji. He was great, man. Um, I always find it interesting to find out where he's at with Yachty's future. And when I asked him, so do you think like Yachty could play, you know, age 43 if his body holds up? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah, I I know how this is going to go. We're going to get into every season. And at the front end, it's going to be, yeah, this might be my last year. And then at the back end, it's like, yeah, I think I could do one more. Right. My body's feeling pretty good. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I, do you guys feel good about Yachty and Wayno both returning? For next year? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I feel pretty confident both are going to be brought back. I feel like I should feel more confident than I do. I think they will. Well, you're just you're just really negative right now, BK. No, it's it's not about that. I just don't know what their I don't know what their goal is for next year. Do they want to do I think with Wayno, I feel pretty good about it if he wants to come back because he's pitched so well. Yachty's had an interesting season. Um, and I don't know what the Cardinals' plans are at the catcher position moving forward. Do they want to go with the young kid, Kisner? Do they want to see what it looks like to get to the bridge to be able to get Yvonne Herrera up in the big leagues? Do they consider going out and maybe acquiring somebody else? I don't know, but I love Yadier Molina, and he was awesome to start out the season, but he's really cooled off offensively, and behind the plate, he does look a little tired right now. I'm glad he's taken this this week off, so I, I don't know what it's going to hold for him. I, I have more confidence in Yachty coming back oh, than really? I do Wayno, and not from a Cardinal standpoint. I just I wonder if Wayno, when it's all said and done, given all the the things that he's he's got going on off the field with, you know, uh, his charity work and and he's you know he still got some young kids, and I, I wonder if he's just like you know what this has been a hell of a ride. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a day, even though he absolutely could pitch next season and pitch at a high level. He's already proved he's already proven that this so year. You're saying last. you feel more confident that. Yachty will want to play in 2022 yes. than Wayno wanting yeah. to play in 2022. If I had to choose one and only one, I have more confidence in Yachty saying, yeah, you know, let's do it again. I think I agree with that. 
on the flip side for the Cardinals, which do you feel more confidence they would want back? I think it's I think both come back. Okay. If it's the Cardinals, if it's up to the Cardinals cuz cuz both players say yes, we we're going to play again next year. I think the Cardinals offer the offer a similar deal again. One year deal to both, bring them back, run run it back again. I'm not opposed to it. Um, I would be very curious to see if they would offer the same money to Yachty. I wonder if they start going down and down and down by the year to see what that looks like. Just And eventually you're going to have to find a way to get Kisner some more starts. Because you got to find out what is – this is becoming a distressed asset for you. Like He was one of the top catching prospects in baseball, and, and now how do other teams view him? Yeah. He's not getting opportunities, so he's not performing offensively. I I don't know. I'll be I'll be curious to see what that looks like. But he would be the one that I have less confidence in them bringing back. But I, if Wayno wants to play, I don't see how you don't bring him back next year at this point. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I wanted to ask you about an NFL story we talked a little bit about earlier today. Um, ESPN is putting out their top ten rankings by positions. They kind of talked to NFL execs and determine where everybody ranks the top five is not all that surprising for the quarterbacks Patrick Mahomes was one Aaron Rodgers two Tom Brady three Russell Wilson four and Josh Allen five you can probably quibble on a couple of those but I think that's about right they had Matt Stafford at number six Super Bowl bound Rams let's go (laughs) what do you what do you think what are your thoughts on Matt Stafford at six above guys like Dak Prescott Lamar Jackson Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray I think Matthew Stafford's going to have an incredible season. Okay. I think Matthew, I think for the first time in Matthew Stafford's career, he's going to have two things. He's going to have a defense and he's going to have a play caller. He's going to have sure. I mean those two things will do more for a quarterback than the number 1 wide receiver. And I've always said that we'll see about the O-line. I think that's the one concern with the Rams, it'd be the it'd be the old line. You got a concern with a thirty eight year old left tackle? Yes, I do. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I don't Considering there's like no other good thirty three plus year old left tackles. But Sean McVay, I think, is going to absolutely set Matthew Stafford up for success and Stafford, we're finally going to see what Stafford absolutely can be with a play caller. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast line? Man? We have Dikembe Matumbo coming up. Because of course. Kerry Davis, our good buddy, is working with Dikembe Mutombo on, a, on an event, so he booked him for us. So we're we're going to talk to Dikembe Mutombo I love at three fifteen. It's going to be fun. Obviously, a lot of Cardinals second half. Second half, look forward to. We're going to break down some of the stuff that Benji told you guys. Awesome, Vladimir Tarasenko news as well. That's what's coming up. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven on one hundred and one ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.